0: Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of acute versus chronic pain management in horses. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2020 by Merck Animal Health. Our guest for this episode is Earl Gahn, DVM DACVS, a a technical services veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. Dr. Gahn graduated from the University of Georgia's College of Veterinary Medicine and completed his residency in large animal surgery at Cornell University. Dr. Gahn has worked in private practice In Maryland and Colorado. Thank you Dr. Dawn for joining us today on Disease to George talk about acute versus chronic pain management in horses in a conversation directed at veterinarians.
1: Well thank you Kim it's nice to be with you and um, before we dig into things I guess I wanted to make sure everybody understands I'm not an anesthesiologist and I'm not a specialist in pain management by any stretch but my experience has come from clinical work with horses and my work as a surgeon through the years. So uh, I hope what I have to say can be helpful and useful um, and looking forward to visiting with you about it.
0: Well, great. We appreciate that. So I, I want to kind of start in general. So when, when you as a veterinarian are observing a horse in pain, where are the most common areas you see it originating from?
1: Well. I kinda think horses manage pain in two rather distinctly different ways and that's when pain originates from musculoskeletal tissues and when pain originates from visceral tissues which I would include ophthalmic tissues in that statement that's without trying to sound silly about it but horses that injure themselves and um, I've lived in the barbed wire for quite a bit of my career and if you have a horse that um, experiences a pretty severe wound, I'm fascinated that often what appears to be on their mind is where their next meal is coming from Um, versus if you have a horse um, with a a large accumulation of gas in its colon, they can often essentially lose their minds with pain experiencing that colic and to the point where they're into themselves even further as you get into the more severe stages of, of that colic pain. So. Again, it's kind of been a fascination of mine that they seem to manage in this um, pain demonstration, if you will, quite differently, depending on the origin of the tissue. So these are things most veterinarians are well familiar with, but again, it kind of puts different goals in our minds as we look at management from dealing with the acute phases and dealing through some of the more chronic things that we have to see.
0: Well, I think you, you kind of raised a good point when you're looking, when a veterinarian is looking at a horse in pain, how do you measure or assess su- how severe it is in that horse?
1: I think it can be challenging. You know, on a, if you're a, a human who has a painful situation, quite often your physician or if you're in a hospital environment, they may ask you to personally grade your own pain on a scale of zero to 10 each of us is going to have a lot of gray area as we pick those numbers between the two extremes. Horses obviously haven't figured out how to do that for us yet, but there's been some interesting and good and solid work that's come out of Europe mostly, but I think it's been adopted here looking at facial scales and facial changes dealing most especially with the acute and then kind of the gradations into more chronic pain. And that is anything from the normal kind of calm appearance of a horse's face to some tightening of facial muscles, lip position, um, ear position and um, eye kind of squinting, if you will. There's even a recent report of a, an app for your cell phone where you can take photos of a horse and get some people to back up your opinions. I guess I'm old enough to think, well, do we really need a phone to tell us what I think our eyes ought to be telling us in the first place? But I think experience will dictate and then it's supported by the way a horse will demonstrate that. Now, I also have the the gradations of orthopedic pain on our AAEP scale of lameness, zero to five where zero is sound and five is non-weight bearing lameness. None of us really disagree with the two extremes. But you have a lot of argument between veterinarians in that two to three differentiation but i i think the great value in that is being able to converse about it colleague to colleague and also in our record keeping as we go back to see has a horse changed has it improved and that type of thing from the visceral or the colic type of pain we obviously have the mild moderate to severe categorizations where from a horse just simply not being right if you will out into that dangerous and severe demonstration of pain with a horse that's down and uncontrollable rolling around and they can injure themselves and they can injure us too.
0: Well, before we get into maybe some of your experiences and some of uh, your recommendations on on pain management as a veterinarian with some medications and some therapies, you and I have talked before and you talked about kind of the surrounding issues, the non-medical methods to help alleviate pain in horses can you talk to our veterinary audience about that a little bit
1: yeah i kind of call these the things that we often overlook that we're actually doing um simply from good physical restraint sometimes that's just a halter and lead line and a human being standing there getting a horse to calm down in the colicky horse you know for centuries we've always walked the horse uh I used to remind my students when I was teaching that we got to remember there's no nerve arc between a horse's foot and their colon that's going to make things fix, but uh, we may have that calming influence, which will help the horse also address and deal with their pain. But in, in a more specific realm, I kind of include things like our physical therapies in the acute stages after an injury, be that ice, cold water, enforced rest perhaps it's an appropriate application of a bandage um, all of these things I would classify in the norm non-pharmaceutical realm but they do tremendous good things for the horse and uh, I think we may talk about some of the uh, in, integrative therapies later but that's not what I'm talking about yet here these are more the things that we've been doing for a long time that sometimes we may, may not appreciate the analgesic effect they can have. And that cooling of tissues I find especially effective, be it a, a um, acute bowed tendon, be it a wound, something along those lines, that application of support and cool can do wonderful things to try to help a horse feel better, if you will, or reduce their pain.
0: Okay, and when we're talking about reducing pain, so are there some general goals for pain management in horses? And there anything we need to be careful of?
1: Well, again, it kind of sounds silly, but I think we kind of subliminally think our way through these things. But mm-hmm. it's probably worth mentioning because our immediate knee-jerk reaction is I want to get analgesia provided to this horse. I want to remove the pain. But I think it's important to realize that pain is a defensive mechanism for the horse. It allows them to be um, careful managers of their own injuries, if you will. And so to have complete removal of all pain in an acute fashion may be somewhat detrimental. And for instance, there is a horse that has a non-displaced fracture, and maybe we provide local anesthesia And the next step the horse takes they decompensate that fracture because they're unaware of it because we have completely analgesed a certain region in the horse's limb. That can also be the same thing somewhat with systemic drugs but to a far less degree. But I think we have to have an awareness again that we're trying to first do no harm and provide the best that we can to supplement the horse's own efforts to um, survive this injury and uh, that may sound extreme but sometimes that's where we are um, and to not make the situation worse by taking the horse's mind completely away from the situation at hand I think we'll probably mention sedative agents here after a little while and that's certainly one place we have to be extremely careful especially if we're talking about musculoskeletal injury and the pain that results from that.
0: Okay, so when you're dealing with pain relief, so what are are some of the common methods of delivering this pain-relieving medication to a horse?
1: Well, we're fortunate in a lot of ways that we can deliver analgesic medications almost every way that we can deliver medications. So, um, you know, we talk about systemic management with intravenous delivery, oral delivery of those agents, regional uh, administration, as in the nerve blocks and other um, uh, applications, for instance, the ice once again, and then quite local deliveries of things like into a joint space with an intra-articular administration. And then we have an, um, an area of topical medications that's always attempting to grow, um, and we've got some non-steroidals that have a solid role in that today. So in the delivery mode, it's almost every avenue possible that we are aware of, and I'm sure there's new delivery methods being developed as we speak as well. But most of the classic ways are available to us.
0: Okay, well, let's let's talk about a few of the insets. So, as an equine veterinarian, you practiced in the field before you went to work with Merck. What are some of your experiences with, uh, like Butte and Banamine and other non-steroidals?
1: You bet. Um, the Butte, Banamine, Equiox seem to be the big three that we often talk about. There are others available to us that are less commonly used, and we probably have those than the other of what I'll call the big three. Um, Of the big three, Butte probably has received the most negative press in the last decade or more. And um, for reasons that are not totally unjustified, but because I've been around a while and have used Butte, I believe successfully, I think it's a drug that should not be forgotten. Um, Again, bute can be administered safely intravenously and orally. Um, It's not meant for intramuscular use. Um, The downsides of phenylbutazone have been gastric ulcer generation and renal insults for the most part. In excessive doses, we know that the right dorsal colon can be a targeted um, negative impacted organ as well when you look at the studies that have been done that have kind of cast this dark light on Butte, most if not all of them were done at the highest levels of, of the labeled application, if you will, and often to excessive times. Or what the other factor that we know is that if water and food are withheld, it can sort of concentrate some of the negative effects that Butte can have. So. I'm a believer that butte is a great drug to use for especially musculoskeletal injury and inflammation and some of the negative um, repercussions of of injury itself, um, if it is managed well. And by that, I mean most of the horses, if you are using that moderated dose or middle dose, even the lower dose appears in the, on the label and in the literature, and that horse continues to eat and drink normally, those horses can use butte for extended periods of time. We typically don't recommend butte for more than four to five days at a time without giving a break and then repeating that at times. But those who who might be listening who are in my age category on the older end of of, uh, practice probably have maintained Horses, in my specific experience, has been with brood mares that have retired to orthopedic injury. that have been on phenylbutazone daily, literally, for years. Mm -hmm. I believe, personally, for this, but my personal belief is some horses are idiosyncratically sensitive to the negative influence of butte, much like some people can't take uh, ibuprofen. And I think you know those horses almost immediately because after a first or second dose, they go off feed, they're lethargic, they show some of the signs of perhaps some GI insult, and we stop the drug and we we stay away from it, record that in that horse's record and go, don't go back. But I think those horses are relatively rare. And so I'm... Encouraging for veterinarians to use Butte in that kind of controlled and well-supervised manner. Um, it is another one of those situations where you kind of have to drive home the message to the client that a, a little good, a lot is not necessarily better. And so I think by managing things that way, um, we can take an old drug and and keep it quite useful. You know, on the banamine front, um, Banamine can be administered IV that still is labeled IM and it can be administered orally. The IM label, we are working desperately hard at Merck Animal Health to remove the IM label from injectable banamine for horses, mostly because flu meglumine megalamine of, of all origins has been associated with myositis complications. I can guarantee you that there is no clostridial organism in a bottle of banamine when it leaves the shop, you know. So if something negative happens, we have learned that some horses have dormant clostridial spores deep in muscular tissue. And so perhaps the tissue pH change from a local injection of banamine stimulates that infection to to mature and become quite a problem. So as a general rule, we just simply anymore do not recommend IM use of banamine. IV use and oral use seem to be still quite effective. And, you know, banamine typically is selected for colic. You know, it's thought to be the colic drug of choice. And, you know, the reality is it's just as effective for musculoskeletal inflammation as it is for GI problems. So a question has come up about what about oral G oral banamine pace for a horse is having a mild colic. I think it's still quite good. You know, the only time to avoid oral things in a horse that's colicky is if there happens to be a situation where that horse might have obstructive disease in the small intestine or outflow from the stomach and possibly has reflux because the rule of thumb, which as we all would know, if the horse is refluxing, you don't try to put anything in orally. So, Again, quite effective agent is there. Um, Equiox is the the other one that we commonly talk about in this big three. Again, um, Equiox has been quite successful. You can have um, an initial uh, elevated dose because there seems to be some loading that's required with Equiox to achieve some of the similar acute phase changes um but equiox used for horses that have chronic low-grade orthopedic things has been quite successful and um, there's been some other discussion of using equiox um, around the management of the post-op colic horse and i think that's been successful as well for me personally i I have just trended to use banamine most commonly with visceral problems but most commonly with orthopedic and musculoskeletal problems And for me, equiox is that one for chronic issues. That's just the way I've personally tended to use those. So I got a little long-winded on you on that one. I apologize for that.
0: No, I think, you know, it's like if you and another vet were sitting and talking, that's that's kind of what you all would talk about. And that's what this podcast is supposed to be for. And since we're talking about it, if you're talking to another vet, um, and I know you all talk about horse owners occasionally, so when horse owners are using butte what precautions do you recommend you've already said yeah be careful a little's good a lot may not be better in fact it's not um so what what other precautions do you recommend especially with butte use
1: you bet well the first one may sound silly and that's butte is not for human use um it it creates nasty problems with bone marrow and issues like that doesn't seem to happen that way in the horse so much much more um, what we're talking about is making sure that that dosing is required and I I tell people kind of a it's more of a story but it led to some interesting work way back when I was a resident um, we actually designed a surgical procedure to remove the right dorsal colon from horses that had um, what we would today call bute toxicity and what was the uncanny part of the story was we would have one representative of the horse saying they were given this amount of butte in the morning and when they came home from work and be it a spouse or someone else from the barn would look at them and go you've been doing it i've been doing it too so essentially they're doubling up and heading toward the high end of the dose in a hurry and essentially overdosing the horse which is a a a precaution that we need to be very careful of and cognizant of with Butte. That is a problem, and so most of the time when veterinary supervision is in place and we're managing Butte appropriately, I again fall back onto that thought. If a horse is eating and drinking normally while they're on Butte, they are doing well and they're probably doing fine with no negative repercussions of the drug. We also have trended toward using Butte once a day versus the original prescription of twice a day use. And anymore, probably most of us would go four or five days, give the horse some time off to see where we are with the drug before we would return to administration there. Because there's no loading dose needed with Butte, those types of approaches can be quite successful. So, um, and there's, there's some evidence that even some subclinical renal insult with given a day or two off of the drug, um, if that's present at all, can, can repair itself. So um, I think we're just careful with dose and duration and monitoring the horse's um, well-being, if you will, um, during the time of administration.
0: Today's Disease Du podcast is brought to you by Banamine through Nixon Maglumine from Merck Animal Health. The pioneer NSAID for horses in the U.S., Banamine goes to work quickly to alleviate pain and inflammation from musculoskeletal disorders and visceral pain from colic to horses in your care. Don't get caught on call without it. Find out more about the science of pain relief at merckanimalhealthusa.com. Do not use banamine in horses intended for human consumption. The effect of banamine paste on pregnancy has not been determined. See product label for complete safety information. And for some of the, the more higher class drugs, meaning opioids,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I know human opioid addiction is is a pandemic in this country. Have you ever seen a horse addicted to opioids, or have you used them? long-term in order long enough to see that
1: i have not and, and i think that's perhaps dependent on a couple things one any opioid of um administration to horses is being done by humans and so you would have to have someone fairly dramatically anthropomorphize to a horse from human use so what we don't have is the horse's ability to go i think i'll just take one more oxycontin today um which i You said it, it's a a tremendous issue in this country and across the world, so the other reality for us, I think, is we see enough negative repercussions from opioid use in the horse that we tend to shy away from that, and the specific big one would be morphine, where we know repetitive dosing of morphine to the horse has some pretty negative repercussions on the GI tract, and it's not unusual. If we are trying that drug to see horses colic secondarily to the use simply from motility shutdown the most common opioids we have are more or less synthetic ones of butorphanol and um, can be a wonderful agent and often added to our sedative drugs but often i i use butorphanol on short-term use post-operatively after orthopedic surgeries to help a horse transition from that the OR and general anesthesia environment back to that stall rest environment that might be required. Um, and I'm talking about a day or two or three, but it, those are very short term active drugs literally measured in the course of minutes versus hours to days, which we might see on some other agents that humans use. So again, another long winded answer. No, I've never seen a horse addicted to those, and I, I think it's because we're One, aware, and two, um, the horse isn't driving their own medication at that point.
0: Yeah, well, but speaking of horse owners driving medications, I mean, I have heard some of my friends who are horse owners say, can't we give this horse more pain control for some of these long-term, like, laminitis-type situations? So, what's your experience with that?
1: Well, it's frustrating, to be very honest, because I have, and you mentioned the disease state that probably most of us are very frustrated with, and that's the chronically and painful laminitic horse. I've had a number of clients sit down with me and go, why can't we develop or why can't you administer pain medications like I had after my knee surgery, or I had a total knee replacement and I received Percocet or other agents like that long-term and as I thought needed. Um, Our reality is we don't have medications that are directed like that for the horse. Um, Our other reality for things, especially like laminitis, is horses are what we call an obligate weight-bearing animal. They need to be standing squarely on four limbs or we start to see negative repercussions. And just analgesing them profoundly will not necessarily resolve that. So... I think I I share that frustration because I've experienced it, and I think when you look at the armamentarium of medications that we have available to safely administer to a horse long-term, they don't include those um, opioid-like analgesics, which uh, people can take but have to be very careful with. So part of it's an availability, part of it's just the biological differences and, and physical differences between man and horse.
0: Okay, well, let's let's move into another group of drugs. So, tranquilizers and sedatives, do they provide some pain relief? And, and how do you use that as a veterinarian?
1: You bet. Answer quickly is yes, they provide some. And um, tranquilizers, and the one we most commonly talk about there is acepromazine. I don't generally look at acepromazine as a profound analgesic drug. I think it may have some mild analgesic effects. That's very hard to determine. Um, most veterinarians who are listening probably recognize that a horse that's acutely distressed, um, giving acepromazine, at least in my hands, has not been very effective at one, tranquilizing the horse and two, creating any kind of analgesic effect. So probably we would shift over to our alpha-2 agonist drugs of. Xylazine, and Datomidine. And I think by virtue of the sedative effect of those, they provide some pain relief. And you can see that probably demonstrated in easier restraint. Um, Be careful, again, um, how much we administer. Um, I think it's important to remember with those agents that the dosing that's described on the bottle, if you will, is a generally a pre-anesthetic induction dose. So it's profound. Um, if you give the labeled dose of xylazine to a normal horse, you'll have their head drop to the ground in seconds, and they are generally ataxic. So therein lies the problem. Yes, it's sedation, probably with some added analgesic components to that, But take again that horse that you're suspicious might have a fracture, it might have a tendon ligament disorder that is threatening for what we call decompensation or just coming apart. Um, Unfortunately, I've experienced that where you sedate a horse, be it to load or unload from a trailer, they kind of forget what they're doing in their ataxia and that a long bone fracture that was not displaced becomes displaced because the horse simply fully weight bears on that and has a catastrophic result. So there's this balance that's going to be required when you're sedating a horse between what's manageable and safe to do, back again to the do no harm approach, and one that could lead to more complications. And sometimes we get in a rock and a hard place I mean veterinarians that deal with horses find themselves in difficult and peculiar times and places and um, so sometimes you have to go there but just remembering that or at least keep it in mind as you're weighing out the, the risk and benefits um, of using those drugs becomes important. Perhaps another uh, analgesic component of that is a common combination of drugs for restraint and for management of a patient is to combine that synthetic opioid of butorphanol with an alpha-2 like a xylazine. It prolongs the effect and it, pro- and it makes more profound the uh, effect of the drug as well. So um, just have to remember that, um, that it'll be there longer and you might make a horse more sedate than you thought you would um, if you're not careful with how much you're administering to that horse.
0: Yeah, and let's kind of keep going on that. Um, long-term pain relief, you know, horse owners will see their veterinarian do nerve blocks and other techniques, and they're like, why can't we just do this long-term? So what what is it that veterinarians can tell horse owners about that type of, of
1: drug use? You bet, especially with local anesthetics. We have several that are available to us today. The lidocaine and carbocaine the duration of action regardless of how they're administered can be measured in in minutes um, we have another one butorphanol that can extend the local anesthetic effect to several hours there's a new agent out now which is a local anesthetic that's liposomally associated that the, the thought is you can get approximately three days of duration out of that Now, once again, we have to remember the how and the when and the why that we might administer that. Is um, removing all sensation from a region of a horse's body reasonable for a longer duration? Um, In the potential to create a harmful situation, once again, we would have to be careful. With that drug where I used to use butorphanol um, after an ovarectomy on a mare, um, be it from a large ovarian tumor or whatever you might do, those horses are quite often pretty uncomfortable in the post-op phase. So being able to provide that type of analgesia would be a great assistance to us in the post-op phase versus something that's orthopedic and, and musculoskeletal, let's say in the distal limb, maybe we need to be careful on that so maybe the laminitic horse would be a great candidate for that i think we have to understand the vascular ramifications from an agent like that but again you know not to be preachy about things but we've got to be careful with something that's that long term about it potentially being abused um you know the horse some distal and musculoskeletal thing that if we just blocked it and sent them to a show for the weekend Is that an ethical thing to do? I think we have to search our own thoughts about that before we would proceed. But So there are some dynamic changes happening with local anesthesia. Regional applications have also been used from intravenous perfusions and that type of thing. Um, But we're still studying some of that and trying to figure out what's the best way to utilize those.
0: And I know in humans, you can slap a patch on something that hurts or rub some cream on your back or your knee or your neck. What about those kind of topical treatments for pain in horses?
1: You bet. Well, the the that we have available to us through the you know the brand name Surpass, everybody's pretty familiar with. Um, I think for specific applications has been quite good. It's certainly added a nice addition to our armamentarium of, of approaches to inflammation and pain. Um, Voltaren being the human labeled dose or labeled product for. Um, of declofenac. I've used that personally, and I would tell you from personal use, it's not profound, but it it is effective, and it it can be effective for the horse as well. So in addressing acute edema, some tissue swelling, and the pains that can come from that type of injury, I think these agents can be quite good. You know, the other topical thing that I didn't mention when we were talking about opioids is the the fentanyl patch. You know, it's been used, and I think you you would probably have to say the results have been mixed. In my hands, personally, I was not favorably impressed. I've talked to other veterinarians who were. Um, if you're interested in that, I would definitely a, approach a, an anesthesiologist to have that conversation. But um, my personal experience is I may be picking the wrong cases for them as well. But I think specific to your thought um was the topical use of something like surpass. This is probably an appropriate place to to bring up the fact that and Merck produces banamine. We we know that. Um, but there's a topical um, flunixin or banamine product that's labeled for cattle and has been very effectively used in cattle. We have to remember the the skin and the the subcutaneous circulation is a little bit different in cattle and horses. So, uh, we do not advise using topical banamine applications on horse skin. We have found it to be a little bit caustic and to the point where we do not recommend it. So, um, uh, other alternatives will be coming, you know, back again to the topical use of ice and stuff like that. Some of those things can be good. Um, but the specific one I think we were driving at was the diclofenac, which I'm an advocate for at times.
0: And let's, let's move from something fairly simple, rubbing a cream on something, to something pretty complicated, epidurals. So, yep. it's been used in, in humans for pain relief. What about for horses?
1: Well, we've been using epidurals in horses for quite a long time as well. And um, once again, I think we might argue that the results have been mixed, but... Um, depends on your goals and what you're utilizing an epidural for. We've certainly used a lot of epidurals for perineal surgeries, local anesthesia to the caudal end of the horse, if you will. If you want to provide relief for the hind limbs, this can be effective, but my personal experiences would tell us to be careful because you can, using agents like morphine, butorphanol and some of those, and depending on how much volume you might administer, you might push your analgesic agent cranially on the spinal cord where you can have some, some concerns of paresis or weakness to outright paralysis of the hind limbs. Doesn't happen very often, but you only have to experience that once to not want to go back there. But for things like removing ovaries, hind limb injuries and those types of things, um, epidurals have been quite good epidurals can be approached from using single agent things like local anesthetics like the opioids um, and the alpha two sedatives have also been effective but i think most people who are using them today for analgesia and pain management are probably using combinations of those agents and there's a a lot of recipes for those i would encourage those who are interested to again seek out either an anesthesiologist for what's worked best or um, some of the current therapy texts have nice indices in the back for those types of approaches as well as um, as anesthesia textbooks do too. So yes, but it would be my kind of response to epidurals.
0: Okay, so um, again, changing to a different type of of possible therapy, do you have any experience or thoughts about using stem cells and platelet-rich plasma Pain relief in horses?
1: Well, you know, when we talked about wound management earlier, that came up in the management of, of wounds. And um, I live south of Denver now, and I'm, I've been fascinated from listening just to the radio advertisements of encouraging people with arthritis of all stages to go to these places for stem cell administration. And we can manage your pain without pharmaceutical agents. I'm, I'm fascinated by that because it simply wasn't my experience with using stem cell preparations, platelet-rich plasma, in an intra-articular environment. Now, things like IRAP, um, where we're specifically addressing inflammatory mediators, I would tell you my experience has probably been very different. And we have managed chronic painful situations from. Uh, different arthritic conditions in that manner. Um, The wound specific one I was fascinated by was my first experience with PRP was I had a cardiovascular surgeon's horse get wounded with one of those wire cuts over the dorsal aspect of the hock. It was not a happy wound and uh, but it was interesting having conversations with this gentleman because he talked about his open heart patients where he would open an individual sternum and he had begun putting prp in his sternal closures and his observations were his patients were far less painful in the post-op phase they got back to um regular activity into their physical therapy much quicker than the patients that he did not do that to very subjective observations once again Um, but it fascinated me a little bit, and so I had mentioned that in our wound um, discussion, and I I had a veterinarian contact me and wanted to pursue that a little further, and I once again had to kind of confess that's just an observation. I can't tell you that from my equine applications of PRP that I have necessarily noted that. I've seen a lot of nice things happen to injured tissue, um, but analgesia is such a hard thing to quantitate in the horse. I'm not entirely sure. I just think we have to be careful not to extrapolate again the current human marketing of especially stem cells for analgesia back to the horse. I think we have to be careful there.
0: Yeah and for our listeners on the podcast when Dr. Gaughan is talking about we talked about that wound Um, We did a podcast for veterinarians on wound management. That was episode 33 on disease du jour. So you can go back and listen to that one and hear a little bit more about what he had talked about. Um, I guess one of my last questions is what are your thoughts and experiences on using acupuncture and other integrated therapies for pain relief in horses?
1: You bet. I I confess to originally being the, the ultimate skeptic and um, I thought for sure there there was no way. Um, I had an experience when I was in veterinary school many many years ago working for a veterinarian who was doing acupuncture and it was certainly novel 40 years ago or not quite 40 (laughs) but but to have needles essentially placed where you might do an ulnar nerve block in someone's hand and, and having total analgesia result from that I was I was impressed, but I couldn't understand why. And then many of us have probably seen those videos. Um, it was a Chinese hospital where a woman was having a craniotomy done. She's fully awake, and the only analgesia she's receiving is acupuncture needles placed strategically around her head. So um, remarkable kinds of things. And veterinarians being inquisitive and bold, jumped into this field and um, we've seen some interesting things happen. Um, the best Western perception of this that I can come up with is that we see some disruptions or, or things of neuropathways. We see endorphin and keflin release that can result. I think those things have been proven um, scientifically. Much of what we See, I have trouble understanding because, again, I'm just classically Western trained and and I don't fully understand everything that's there, but I have colleagues now that I think incredibly highly of that are daily practitioners of these arts and sciences, and um, they achieve remarkable things. I and I've gotten to the point where I working side by side. It's interesting to see Things like a horse receiving acupuncture therapies have a mental change and and go from somewhat perhaps uh, wired or excitable to quite calm, even almost you could argue have a sedative effect from that. But also we've seen some things that have proved to be therapeutic in an analgesic way. I wish I could understand them more, but I don't deny them anymore like I used to. Mm -hmm. And I'm fairly quick if I exhaust my approach is to at least suggest a client find a veterinarian or if I know them and they're close, I'll refer to people that do these things. And, um, you know, obviously there's no one-time things fix all because they have to continue to repeat a lot of these types of therapies. Um, but something as good is happening. Um, my argument would be it doesn't fix everything but it might be worth obtaining um, another opinion on or seeking out a practitioner who has good experience with these approaches and go forward. You know, another perspective is that obviously someone um, in the regulatory fashion thinks enough is positively happening that a lot of these treatments are not allowed on show grounds and that type of thing, and they're attempted to be fairly highly regulated. So um, again, I'm I would encourage people to have an open mind. Um, I've tried to maintain that and I'm much more um, pleased to refer than I perhaps I used to be.
0: And do you have any other final <laughs> comments or thoughts on our acute pain management that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Oh, I, I think we've probably touched on most things, but I think Pains management is like so many things. is one of those things that um, someone else's experiences can be quite valuable. And so if you have reached a point in a case management where things are just not working for you, um, open up to your friends and colleagues and, and seek another opinion. And uh, to me, there's probably no greater example than that laminated horse again, because um, it's, an old saying, perhaps, but it, you know, a veterinarian tends to treat the next laminitic case based on whatever worked for him the last time, and that probably didn't work on every horse they've ever treated because it's such a wicked and variable kind of problem. But um, be it again, musculoskeletal, visceral, ophthalmic types of things. If if you're frustrated, reach out because there are people who have been quite um, creative in their approaches. As long as we keep that saying of do no harm prevalent in our approach to this, I think we can do nice things for the horse.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Gaughan, Um, on this episode of Disease Du Jour. We want to thank our audience for listening to Disease Du Jour and a special thanks to our 2020 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Please listen and rate previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. We invite you to follow Equimanagement Management on our website or our Facebook, or feel free to send me an email at kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.